0: The back poles out of 17. He'll weave it right down to the wall. Coming across the line, the winner of Pro Mazda here at Barber Motorsports Park, race number one, Parker Thompson. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Road to Indy Insider Podcast. My name's Rob Howden, voice of the Mazda Road to Indy, presented by Cooper Tires, and excited to be joined by a young man that uh, many people are putting that star power a tag-on, a young pilot who has spent a couple years in uh, in the Cooper Tires USF 2000 championship powered by Mazda, and just this year, uh, making his first steps into pro-Mazda, the second rung of the Mazda Road to Indy. Of course, I'm talking about Parker Thompson from Red Deal, Alberta, Canada. Young Canadian driver, 20 years of age. Parker, you're coming off an amazing weekend at Barber Motorsports Park. We're going to talk all about that. But first, I just want to welcome you to the Road to Indy Insider Podcast.
1: Well, thank you very much, Rob. It's an absolute pleasure. We've uh, we've been interviewing since I was a, a young a young cart driver, so it's uh, pretty cool yes. to get on your podcast. And uh, I've been listening in, so it's uh, it's awesome to see where you're at. We've kind of our careers have grown together. It's pretty cool.
0: It is awesome, isn't it? And I you know, look back to I think one of the first times I ever interviewed you was uh, at a cart race in uh, Tucson. I think it was uh, Muscleman Cart Circuit in Tucson, part of the. Challenge of the Americas, I know you were probably 14 or something like that. Maybe, I don't know what it was, but whatever. It is, it's it's it, so it's, funny. It's, we
1: have that picture in my garage.
0: Yeah, and wow. it's
1: it's of us getting an interview. So that's awesome.
0: Yeah. It's been a long time. Let's let you know what. Those of you listening to the Insider Podcast, you're obviously Road to Indy fans, the Verizon Car Series fans. Again, that's one of the reasons and one of my motivations for doing this podcast was to kind of get a chance to get up close and personal with the drivers and people in the industry that are all part of this this road indie this ladder program, so let me lay down a little bit of history for you. Uh, for Parker Thompson, uh, like so many drivers of the Mazda Road Indie coming into karting, uh, a number of years for, for Parker started when he was eight years of age. We'll touch on this a bit in the in the podcast because I think it's interesting to talk about. Like many as well, part of Team Canada at the Rotax Grand Finals was able to represent his country and well in that uh, in that well, uh, way as well. Well, finishing third place in Portugal in 2012, wearing those red and white colors for Team Canada. Moved to European International Karting, factory driver for the Energy Course factory team in 2013. That's a major step. And I want to ask Parker a little later about what that did for his driving style, his racecraft, because when you get yourself into a factory team, he ran for Energy Course, uh, that raises your game to a major level in karting. Took his real first steps into, into car racing in 2015 when he ran with JDC Motorsports. Single car operation in the Cooper Tires USF 2000 Championship powered by Mazda. That always makes it tough when you're single car. Fifth overall in the series. Six top five finishes and was the runner-up in the Rookie of the Year standings. Uh from there, moved to the powerhouse Cape Motorsports team. He obviously proved himself in 2015. 2016 ran for Cape Motorsports. Uh, a great run, second overall on the series, four wins, sweeping the weekend at Barbara Motorsports Park. He won on the road course at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and won on the streets of Toronto as well. A big win in the home country. 14 top five finishes. And when you start thinking about how many top fives he had, you moved to 2017 last year. He goes from Cape Motorsports and for all intents and purposes, the career had hit a wall. There's no, just nowhere for Parker to go. They kind of had, ex- had exhausted the family's finances and where he was able to go. Luckily, able to connect with exclusive auto sports, the Canadian team out of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Michael and Kimberly Duncaf They're making their move from F6, F-1600 into the Mazda Road to Indy. They hook up with Parker to essentially be the guy that was going to take them there. The veteran driver a couple years already in the series. Brand new car comes out, the US, USF 17. They're going to put it in the hands of Parker to really build their database. He ends up coming out of the box. They're not the super, they're, they're good, but not hitting it. We got to Toronto and boom, that team rallied behind Parker after some early season struggles. He sweeps the weekend in Toronto, goes on to win as well at Mid Ohio. And as a rookie team, they finished third overall on the series, 11 top five finishes. So over three years in USF 2000. Unbelievable! You're talking about 31 top five finishes for Parker Thompson uh, in USF 2000, and that's why I think so many people have jumped on board, saying this kid just has so much talent inside the car. The great thing about Parker is, and I won't let him respond right now because I don't want him to put the blush. Also, incredibly good outside the car as well, and I think anybody uh, who has followed his career understands how good he is both inside and outside of that race car this year. Huge opportunity for him. He stays with exclusive Autosport because Michael Duncalf, I gotta say he probably is going to own a Verizon IndyCar series team one day. I know he's already looking at Indy Lights. He moves from USF 2000 and then debuts in Pro Mazda as well, buying two PM18s uh, to get to the series this year. Uh, Obviously some great sponsors on board with the team. I'll let Parker talk about his sponsors as well. But Parker gets that opportunity. He probably wouldn't have gotten again. Uh, exclusive gave him the opportunity to run USF 2000, a third year in 2017. He rolls in and and, and pilots the car in 2018, strong out of the box at the St. Petersburg this year, and then comes in and sets a new track record, both poles, a main event win and two podiums at Barber Motorsports Park to lead the series as we head to the month of May at Indianapolis. Uh, Parker, there you go. I just gave you, uh, what, the last uh, 10 years of your career in, in about two and a half minutes um, give me your thoughts when you look back at that body of work, uh when I get a chance to detail it like that, what do you think of that storyline? it's actually
1: it's it's pretty wild. I'm sitting here uh, listening to you talk, and it's uh, it's sometimes hard to believe that that's actually what I've done um as race car drivers, you know you you only remember your last performance, and I think we get so fixated on that you know you you kind of forget what you did in karting. Um I had a lot of a lot of really good performances in karts to to get my opportunities in cars and it's kind of just wild. So thank you for that Rob. I appreciate you going back and and digging up history and actually the the top 5s, you know, I knew I was consistent but 31 top 5s. Even I kind of raised my eyebrows at that. So uh that was awesome.
0: Now let's before we won't go too far back there, but let's have a, a just quick talk of your karting career because we know a lot of young people, young uh, young racers will probably be listening in. Let's talk first about what it was like, and I, I, I love discussing this with young drivers. You got a chance to qualify. You won a ticket to race at the Rotax Grand Finals, which is essentially one of the biggest international events, probably the single biggest international event uh, in the sport now, uh, where drivers from different 60 different countries all qualify to win tickets to be part of their national series. You end up qualifying to win and be part of Team Canada. You wear the red and white. You go to Portugal in 2013, and not only did you just go, and you're racing against 80 people in your class, whatever it was for that particular category. In, in the, I think you were in the junior ranks. Yes, sir. You ended up, up finishing third. That's absolutely massive.
1: Yeah, it was a, a pretty wicked weekend. It's so funny looking back at uh, my Team Canada debut. Um, so the first year in junior Rotax, I moved up early. So I was 12 years old. I moved up pretty well a year early. And when I got my ticket from the Gators Challenge of Americas, I went over to Dubai for the first world championship there. Um, and that was a tough, a tough weekend. It was. Uh, I was the youngest competitor there, so I was the youngest out of anyone. And you're racing against 15 year olds, and I think even if I'm not mistaken, 16 was the cutoff for senior. Uh, so there was a, a four year age gap. Um, so I was much more better prepared when I went back to Portugal, and we kind of just hit our stride. It was a. An interesting weekend. There was a little bit of rain. There's a little bit of sun, um, but all in all, really good memories. It's funny uh, looking back at that. Uh, Chris Freckleton, my my old karting mechanic, just messaged me after Alabama, after the wins, and said congratulations. And uh, it's always uh, a bit of deja vu when you look back at your karting career and, and how much he helped me get to where I was.
0: Uh, talk about your carding career a bit too. Interesting when we're, we're talking about Indianapolis is the fact that you had a chance to run with Buddy Rice, Buddy Rice carding uh, a former Indianapolis 500 winner. Uh, what did you learn working with Buddy? He was obviously connected to energy course, the, the Italian chassis manufacturer. You end up moving there to race with them. in, in, in 2014, I believe it was, um, or was it? Yeah. Whether it 13 or 14, you can, you can correct me. You end up going to race with it, uh, energy course in Europe. First, Discuss what it was like working with Buddy and gaining knowledge from him. And then, how did going to Europe and racing there for a year change your style of racing, or even just change the way you approach the sport?
1: Well, oh, those are awesome questions. I mean, first and foremost, Buddy was uh, my first real driving coach, I guess you could say. Um, I went from my dad being my mechanic to on buddy rice's team racing in ikf when i was you know 10 11 years old and i really got fed to the wolves i think that's uh, one thing i went from racing club racing in canada at the calgary kart racing club to ikf where there was you know 40 or 50 kids and they were really strong kids and that's uh, that's back then when you were racing you know three or four categories every weekend so the seat time was was pretty large um, but buddy was is he was pretty huge to my career honestly he taught me a lot of things that you know i i may have not understood in the moment. Uh, but as I grow up and as I get more mature, it's funny what you look back on when that, what he taught me back then and you, the light bulb goes off and goes, huh, you know, he, he did win the Indy 500, the Rolex 24. He's a pretty smart dude. So massive respect to buddy. And I, I can't thank him enough for the, for the stuff he taught me along the way. I mean, when it came to racecraft, racing in IKF, uh, you took a club racer from, you know, a 12 cart grid. Now you're all of a sudden, you're putting him up against 50 of uh, the West coast and the U S is best, competitors that's a big step and and buddy really eased that transition well and then growing up the relationship i mean till i was 15 16 i had a relationship with buddy even my first year at cars but um talking more about the move to europe i think um europe changed me more as a person rather than it did a driver honestly uh, that was a pretty big move um looking back at it i was 13 years old when i went over there and uh you know, I got that contract right after Portugal, after I'd finished third. Mick Panagata, uh, the owner of Energy Course, said, we need a North American driver. At the time, uh, Santino Ferrucci was moving on, so they, they needed another another North American representative to kind of sell the brand here in, in North America. Got the contract, and within two weeks, I had to make a decision if I was going to go on a plane to Italy for 12 months or if I was going to stay home. And that was, uh, I mean, talk about... A family discussion. Um, you know, Dad wants me to go. He's a true racer. Mom, I'm an only child. Mom wants me to stay home. Then we yeah, got past kind of that discussion of, okay, I'm going. But now, how do we sort out school? We've only got a week left to to figure out how I'm going to still do schooling over there. Uh, so then I got put on online school and, and met some really great, uh, really great teachers and principals that helped me get through grade nine schoolwork while I was over there. And then just talking about the move, I mean, I got lost in the Frankfurt airport while I was over there, uh, moving to Italy, my first trip over there. You know, I'd I'd flown by myself before, but never in a um, huge international airport like Frankfurt. So I got lost and missed my connection. then you talk about just the move over there. Um, Not many of the team members spoke Italian. The family I moved in with didn't speak, uh, or excuse me, didn't speak English. They spoke Italian. Uh, the Billet family that I moved in with, who I actually, I still keep in touch with. They're a great family. They didn't speak any English. Uh, so when oh I moved, yeah, like wow. people I don't think understand. Um, you know, The race craft was different and the racing was different, but I was just trying to wrap my head around the culture, the language growing up. There was so many different struggles that I went through in that uh, point in time in my life. And I think I, I look back at that. That is really that one year shaped me into – Okay, this is what I want to do. I've given up everything. I gave up my my language, my culture, all my friends back home. I gave up my family. I'd pretty pretty much given up everything at that point in uh, in order to to try and become a, a professional race car driver. So that was a, a pretty big turning point in my career.
0: You know, I think that uh, any young driver, if they're going to do it, have to go all in, right? You, you, you got to give up. Maybe you give up the girlfriend when you're young. You give up having that little sports car. You, you just give up so much because you have to dedicate yourself to it. And I think, obviously, leaving home as a single kid and, and moving there was a huge step for you. Now, you learn that. that that's such a challenge, such, uh, you know, pushing you to the edge personally of what you've ever done before. Let's look at the next couple of years because I I find this really interesting because, you know, we always talk about the Mazda Road to Indy, how it's kind of a two-year program at every level. We've seen drivers do three years, uh, and that's even better, but a two-year program at every level. You come in, let's say, into USF 2000, you learn the tracks, you learn the program, just learn the culture, and then next year you come back and win. So many drivers have done it that way. You come in your first year with JDC Motorsports, a team that had done well and won pro Mazda championships in the past. You're the only car they've got single car team. And then talk about a stark contrast. You go to single car team as a rookie to the second year driver to the, you know, the powerhouse juggernaut Cape Motorsports. How did both of those challenges continue to develop you as a driver and as a person? Because, you know, being with John Church and the crew, great family team with JDC Motorsports and then you go there's obviously pressure to perform as a rookie but then you go to Cape Motorsports where you're expected to win races and the way that Nicholas and Dominic have you know developed drivers and really push them to be 100% from the minute you leave the paddock or leave the pit lane to the minute you come back those two years of your life and your career i have to think that they must have just continued that, that, you know, steep learning curve and development that you have when you race carts in Italy?
1: No, for sure, Rob. I think you hit the nail on the head there. I look at, um, I'm very thankful that I had the opportunity to go to Italy because the, the absolute pressure I had on me over there. I mean, every race I was racing just to stay over there. Um, if I had a bad performance, I was probably on my way back home. So Italy really prepared me, I think, in terms of just that, that competition level, you've got 130 different kids from all across Europe. They all know the tracks. They all know the cart. They know the engines. I showed up and I had to perform right away. And and actually I, I got a podium, my first WSK race in uh, La So that was a great debut. I had a great rest of the season with a couple of poles and a couple wins throughout the season. And I think that really set the stage um, for my USF 2000 debut. Now, looking back at my career, if I had to do it again, and if there's any young carters listening right now, Jumping into the Mazaro Indy, I don't care how good of a a cart racer you are, or how competitive you are. That was a big step. That was a a really big step. Um, so I look back at my career, and you know what? A year of Formula Fords or a year of sixteen hundred, I think would have been a, a probably a better decision. But at the time, I was a pretty high ranked Carter, and I thought that uh, a move right into to USF two thousand was attractive. Obviously, you kind of touched on uh, budget not being not being there for me all the time. So. It's pretty attractive when you have a chance to win your ride in Pro Mazda next year, but I think you can't get caught up in that. You've got to realize that you've got to build a foundation before you move into USF, so that when you do, like you said, you can you can come out and compete for wins. So that first year with JDC, awesome team. I love John Church, and, and I have a ton of respect for him as a team owner, and, and even just as a family, he's a he's a really awesome guy. He let me stay at the house a few times, and he's got a great family there. Um, but that first year was tough. It was a one car operation. Uh, as a rookie, I didn't know how to set up the car properly. Uh, as a, You really couldn't expect any rookie to, their first year of cars. It's not like, I mean, a lot of rookies on the Mazda Road Tindy, they say they're rookies, but they've had a year or two of Formula Ford. They've mm-hmm. maybe done F4 before. My USF 2000, my first race start in a car was at St. Pete, turn one. <laughs> Uh, we're not going to touch on how that went, but no, let's uh, leave that alone. Yeah, exactly. So it was uh, it was a learning year, uh, but at the same time, John Church and then uh, my then engineer Ricky Cameron did an awesome job of bringing me up to speed. I actually had Buddy Rice then too on my team as a kind of an over overseer and as a driver coach and, and they did an awesome job bringing me up. But like you said, you know, first year to learn all the tracks, plus I'm learning how to set up a car, plus I'm learning how to work with uh, your engineers and your crew members. It was a it was a tough year. Uh, fifth place is great, but I'm a pretty competitive person. I wanted to be up higher and I wanted to compete for a championship. And that kind of set the stage for 2016 when we went uh, to Cape Motorsports. So I mean, as a lot of people know, um, Cape Motorsports was my all-in. That was my – really, it set, to, set up to be my last year in cars. And I think um, that pressure was was tough on me. <laughs> you You go in and you put all this pressure on you knowing that you only have one more year. You promised your sponsors and your family that this was the last year that you were going to ask for money. This is it. I have to win this year. You lead the championship from the second race of the season to the second last race of the season – And then a flat tire lets go, and it 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 all kind of crumbles. That was tough, but um, it was great to work with Dominic and Nicholas Cape. I think they really respected the fact that I'd been to Europe and I I was used to the pressure. You know, when you race against one hundred and thirty Carters, people always ask me. You know, do you have to go kart to be fast in a car? I don't think you have to to go kart to necessarily set a pole lap in a race car, but I think the pressure that you get from karting when you race against 130 kids that all want to win, the pressure on the weekends and how quick they are. You know, in karting, you only get a couple practices, you're into qualifying, you're into racing, and it's over. Um, You know, you get used to that standard system. And I think that's really what helps uh, karting kids move into cars and ease that transition. When you get into USF, it's a pretty relaxed weekend. I mean, you've only got one practice, a qualifying in a race, you know, you're, you kind of used to the flow. And I think that's what karting really helps. Um, so to say there was more pressure with Cape, I don't know. It's, you know, Mick put a lot of pressure on me in Europe when I was 14 too. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say there was more pressure from the the team aspect, but I would say from a budget aspect, knowing that this was my only shot to, to move my racing career forward. I would say that pressure kind of outweighed everything.
0: When we look at your career, Parker, I guess that's where it is, right? There was a, there was a certain amount of budget you knew you were going to be able to develop through the family, through your sponsors. And that particular year uh, with, with Cape motorsports uh, in 2016, that, like you said, that was your all in. That's, this is the money we've got. This is the sponsors are saying, I'm behind you and I've got to win the scholarship. I got you essentially had to pull the Spencer Piggott and, or whoever it may be and win that championship and, and keep rolling from there. That for a young guy like that and, and having a dream that you've committed to, That really, that really, I can understand the amount of pressure. That seems like it would be just extremely tough week in and week out.
1: It really was. And especially, I mean, you're battling with your teammate, then Anthony Martin, who I was actually good friends with before we started the season. I mean, we, it's kind of funny that history goes back. I was with JDC, a one car operation. Um, He was with uh, Kamensky. Which was a, a then a, a one operation as well, and we were kind of the outcasts. You know, we we sat together at the drivers' autograph sessions and talked, and you know, he was from Australia, didn't know too many people over here. I was from Canada, fresh out of carts, and and didn't know many people. So we we kind of grew a bond together, and then we get situated as teammates together, and you get pitted against each other. Now Anthony and I handled it really well, and it was all it, he, we were both very classy in that whole thing. I mean. Um, I always say, if if I couldn't have won that championship, there would have been no no person I'd rather see lift the trophy than Anthony. But at the same time, I remember tearing up um, when it was all said and done in Laguna Seca and getting out of the car and watching him hoist it. You know, that's a day you'll never forget. Even that banquet, sitting there and and watching him hoist the trophy. I, you mm-hmm. know, it doesn't matter if he's your friend or not. It's the it's that's your three hundred and fifty that you needed to move up into Pro Mazda to move your career forward. So. It's kind of funny the emotions at that banquet. Sitting there with my dad, I know we uh, there was an In-N-Out burger at Laguna Seca after the banquet. <laughs> my dad and I, we were both at the banquet together, and and he said, "I'll take you out for In-N-Out burger." And this was a little bit later after the banquet, and I, I just remember sitting in our suits at In-N-Out burger, going, "Well, what now? You know, what what do we do now?" Um, that was tough. I mean, it, there was uh, three or four months there. Um, I knew I had the Team Canada scholarship locked up, so I knew I'd be going to England. But after that, uh, life as a race car driver, I put my helmet on a shelf. It was a, a pretty tough time there until I got a call from uh, from Michael Duncalf.
0: Let's go, and let's go to that. You, you have that loose, those stark cold days when you think that uh, this is it. You know, I, I'm I'm gonna have to rethink what I do, how I fo- approach everything. Where am I gonna go? Am I gonna try to be a driver coach somewhere? Whatever it may be. Uh, and then you get that call. And and you think about from then to now and how you've developed as a person, as a driver, that call from Michael saying, hey, listen, I'm going USF 2000 racing and I want you to drive for me. Um, talk about that a little bit, because I think that. Off season much must have been because I know you and I were going back and forth talking for the insider. And I wanted to find out if you were coming to race or what you were doing. And finally, when the news came out, I was super happy for you, obviously, but you must have been elated when you realized that you were going to get another shot at this deal.
1: Well, you uh, even all the way up until the first race of the season, you never think it's going to happen because there's so many different um, opportunities that fall through, and you know, especially as a race car driver, and, and okay. when you're hunting for your own sponsorship, people will uh, they'll promise you the world, and then they'll they'll come up short, and and that's kind of just unfortunately motorsports with the expense that's that happens quite a bit. But um, the relationship with Michael Duncaff and I goes back a long ways. I mean, when I was racing in the Western Canadian Karting Championship. Uh, he came up and introduced himself to me. This uh, we always tease. He's he's always a slick looking guy. We love it. He's uh, the A team boss. So he comes up and he's got his you know nice curly hair. He's always well dressed and and he always looks classy. And he comes up to me as a kid, and you know I didn't know who he was at that time. But he started up exclusive management, and he was managing uh, Thomas McGregor at that time, who was driving for Andretti Autosport in USF two thousand. And he kind of gave me his uh, his rundown, and that kind of led it. I mean, you look at. Uh, You look at the whole history. We met there. We stayed in touch all that time. Um, And then I raced for him in 2015. Uh, I was still doing USF 2000. But at that time, you know, a lot of people were telling me in my my rookie year at USF 2000, you need to get Formula Ford experience. You need to go race 1600. You know, you don't understand the difference between mechanical grip and uh, aerodynamic grip. And we kind of just, we, we use Michael. Michael gave us an opportunity to race 1600 and we kind of just use that as a, a, a judge to where I was at. You know, do I, do I not understand how to drive a race car? Is it me? Is it, is it the car setup? What's going on? And you know what? Michael gave me some solid 1600 cars. My very first race in 1600, uh, we won at I-Car. And then we qualified on pole at, again uh, at our second race in Mount Tremblant. So those were my only two debuts in sixteen hundred with them. Uh, but that kind of set the stage. It got us to know know each other well. We worked with each other very well, um, and you know it, it kind of set everything up for our, our run in USF two thousand. So to break it down on that phone call, I mean I'm, it's after Christmas now. I don't have a ride. I'm out of shape. I'm you know, down on myself. I don't know really what is going on. I'm trying to figure out, do I just need to get a day job or, or, or am I going to be a race car driver? Am I going to coach? What am I going to do? And you get that all oddball phone call that, uh, that says, Hey, can you come test our car at Sebring? And and that's kind of how it happened.
0: Isn't that all I love it guys get, get a chance to talk to Parker Thompson here on the road D&D insider podcast. Again, my name is Rob Howden. Talking about finally Parker Thompson getting hooked up with exclusive auto sport. And that really was a big thing last year. Brand new team. Of course the series bringing out the new tatus uh, USF 17 race car. So it kind of set a level playing field as well, Parker. I think that was good for everybody involved. It wasn't exclusive coming in, trying to battle with the Cape Motorsports as in the, and you know, the Paps racing who have years of, of notebooks on chassis set up for the old van Diemens. It was this level playing field where, hey, you know what, we're all going to go to work to try to see how this car works and to see what happens. You guys came out of the box fairly strongly, had a couple of issues here and there. But finally, you broke through at Toronto. You sweep the weekend in Canada uh, on the streets of Toronto. Let's talk about that weekend has it kind of turned things around. You guys got off to a, a set of not, not the quickest of starts. You were strong, of course, had some minor issues, but it all came together in Toronto for you.
1: Yeah. I mean, Rob, I don't think we'd be here talking uh, today if it wasn't for those two races in Toronto. Those were uh, not only huge for exclusive auto sport to, to get drivers this year, but they were pretty huge for my career. I had a, a lot riding on that career. I mean, I'd, I'd pretty well sold all my sponsorship around one race, which was Toronto last year. I had all my sponsors at the race. I had all my family at the race. And uh, we were coming off our worst finish in the USF two thousand category with exclusive Autosport at the Oval at Iowa. It was a real tough weekend for us. Um, But you know what? I I took the team in the hauler with Michael, and Michael and I gave a pep talk to the team, saying, "We're going to our home race. Who cares what just happened in this circle? Forget it. We're never coming back here again. Don't worry about it. Moving forward, let's go win Toronto." And you know, it's funny. I don't think, and this is me being one hundred percent honest. Michael and I knew we were going to win that race. Even after Iowa, we said the day after we were sitting, I think in Denny's before we caught our flight. And Michael and I sat down and said, we are going to win Toronto. And it's funny. We told team members that we told other, we told media that we, we actually, we went ahead of the the group and said, we're going to win it. We almost put ourselves on the line. And I don't think anyone we told, uh, believed us. I think we got laughed at a few times, but it's kind of funny looking back at that, just how confident we were that no matter what we were going to come away with a win that weekend. And then when it all does come together, it's, it's not that we didn't believe it, but I think um, that's the first race that both Michael and I teared up at. That was, uh, there's not uh, another, another weekend that comes to mind as the most uh, special weekend I've had behind the wheel of a race car.
0: You've talked a couple of times about having post uh, post, let's say post event meals. <laughs> you, you and your dad in an out burger after the banquet, you, know, you talking to, to Michael after Iowa, how different was the, Post-event meal discussion with Michael Duncaff and your sponsors after you uh, swept the weekend in Toronto. That, at that point, you must have really believed that there was things were going to turn around a bit for your career.
1: You know what? I uh, I've always had faith in Michael and I. It's funny we uh, we click really well together. Um, we're we're very much the same person, but at the same time. What he lacks, I make up and what I lack, he makes up behind the wheel of a race car. And even in business, getting sponsors, we just, we work so well together. So I always had faith, you know, you take away Toronto, I still had faith that we could get the job done. Um, But when you actually get to go out and prove it to everyone that we did it, and you know, it wasn't fluke, we qualified on pole. And we went out, we led the entire race and, and got the race win. So I was just, I mean, I was elated. I, I couldn't believe we had done it. Um, but at the same time, I knew we were going to do it. It's, it's kind of that funny feeling. Um, but it's just all the hard work and and the blood, sweat and tears that went into last year to make it even happen. I mean, the fact that I was on the grid was just short of a miracle. Um, so then to win our home race, I mean, if you could you could ask me at the start of the season, what race would I like to sweep? I mean, I would have said without even answering, even this year, Toronto is the race for me to sweep. It's my family, my fans, my sponsors are all there. Um, so to do it with a Canadian team, uh, having a Canadian team owner, our engineer was from Montreal. You know, we were all Canadian. It's, that was a special moment.
0: You know, obviously, perfect storm for exclusive autosport to enter uh, the the, uh, the Cooper Tire USF 2000 championship powered by Mazda in 2017. A brand new race car, you know, the, the USF, uh, USF 17. Here we go. 2018, the PM18 lines up. New car for Pro Mazda. Michael Duncap says, let's do this. We're expanding our program even more. We're going to add two cars to the series. You find yourself on the grid in Mazda. There was a time when you thought your career was over. A couple of years later, you find yourself on the Mazda grid at, at Saint Petersburg with this new team. Everybody fired up, and then you go to Barber Motorsports Park last weekend. After getting your first race in the books, you had a good week. You had a great weekend off, of course, at at, at Saint Petersburg. But wow, were you surprised by how good you were at Barber? New track record, two pole positions, you dominate race number one and then have a great run in race number two, finishing second to lead the points. That perfect storm, first couple of weekends. First, what are your initial thoughts on that? You know what? It's interesting. I'm going to give
1: you a a different aspect to this question. I, I love the question. Um, was I surprised
0: as you will. it's fine.
1: Perfect. Was I surprised? It's so funny. And I'll give you some insight to Michael and I, we get done the race, we get done the podium. You know, we were happy. Don't get me wrong. We walk back into the trailer and we both look at each other and we both have the exact same look on our face. And I go, yeah, it's a little different, isn't it? And he goes, it is different. It doesn't feel that great. It, it feels like it's expected. And and honestly, the wins at Barber and what we did at Barber felt like it was expected. We have done so much work in this offseason uh, to put this team where it is. I mean, my hat's off to Michael. He's he's brought on board Tim Lewis as an engineer. So for those of you who who know your engineers, Tim has done champ car. He's done a bunch in sports car. The guy is just super switched on when it comes to racing. I've, I've never worked with such an awesome engineer. I mean, everything I say, the guy... He does a couple clicks here and, and spread some pixie dust on it. And all of a sudden my problems are fixed. And that, it was like that at St. Pete too. And I, I think it's a two-part question. Going back to St. Pete, I had never been so frustrated. I'm sure a few people saw um, you know, we, I really felt that we should have came out swinging in that race. I, I felt that we should have took it at least the first win that's on me. And then the second win, uh, just qualifying didn't go well for us on the, on the race two, and, and we had to settle for fifth and it was tough. That made me train really hard in that month after St. Pete, cause I wanted to come out to barber and show everyone the potential we had. Um, so to just to say, I was surprised, you know what, this team has got so much potential. I I'm telling you. Um, and I think we're just getting going. I've uh, in myself is to, to put uh, own onus on me. I've, I've started a whole new diet. Uh, I've been training seven days a week in the offseason every single day in the gym with a, a trainer now. And that's new since last year. So physically, I think I'm, I'm at the best shape I've ever been in my racing career. Um, And then you look at our team. I think we've got such a great group of guys. I've worked with them last year. So I've got that second year advantage of, of working with Jay Green, our crew chief, my, my mechanic Joe. And then we brought on a super tuner like uh, Tim Lewis. I think it's, it's the perfect storm. So I really want to come out, uh, you know, we're headed into Indianapolis in two weeks. I really want to come out swinging again. We're not done. We want to keep pushing the boundaries and, and keep trying to extend this points lead.
0: You know, there's there's so many different components to the formula uh to have success on the Mazda Road, Indy. You've got the team, you've got the driver, you're doing even more things as you just detailed to, to raise your game to another level. How is the success from last year and the success from this year? I, I would assume there there's gotta be some waves of momentum in terms of partnerships and sponsorships and backing. I know you've I know you've got some great people that have been with you for a number of years. I know you're working with Badlands now as well. How about you give us a little little bit of a an overview? of the companies and people that are surrounding you that are making this happen for you and, and talk maybe, are you feeling that there's a wave of momentum getting behind you with the success you've had?
1: I do, Rob. I think that, um, you know, it's, it's funny. You, you look at two years ago and, and I was, I was a name in racing, but I think I'm, I'm definitely becoming more prominent now as we, uh, we move up to pro Mazda. It's funny. I even said to Different, uh, a couple close people to me getting a win in Pro Mazda, you sure do get more recognized than you did in USF. You know, the the different people that reached out to me after Alabama, um, it was really interesting. I had some pretty, uh, pretty unique names in the sport of racing. Um, to name one, Peter Windsor reached out to me, and uh, I just actually did an interview with him yesterday. Uh, so it's it's pretty unique to, to garner um, some prominent people in racing to, to get credit for what we're doing here at Exclusive Autosport in, in the Pro Mazda Championship. But to touch on uh, the sponsors, you know, last year I had the opportunity to run the Montreal F1 Grand Prix with Michael in 1600. And that was pretty cool because we actually ended up becoming uh, the first driver team combo to win both uh, the both races at 1600 in Montreal, and then both two-liter races at the the Toronto Indy. So that was pretty special. Yeah. And it, you know it's funny using that momentum, and, and if there's any young racers uh, listening, you know you've got to use those those little marketing plays the best you can. And I've I've really I think really used that to my advantage in terms of getting Badlands Motorsports Resort on board. So they're actually uh, for those of you who don't know what that is, they are a a huge they're a half a billion dollar facility that's getting put up uh, just outside of Calgary and Drumheller and they are going to be a, a three track facility uh, they're going to be open to not only the public but also membership as well so we're pretty excited the uh the shovel's going to hit the ground here in 2019 so i'm really looking forward to uh, not only promoting them but uh, getting on their track as well and then you look at just our long term supporters i've had weber energy since really i've started uh since i've started racing in in formula cars uh triquest was new last year they're a non destructive testing company out of uh out of Calgary. So what that means, um, they actually test, you know, oil uh, drill bits, uh, so when you're drilling for oil, they're the guys that'll test all the equipment to make sure it's safe and ready to go. Uh, so I've I've really garnered a few companies that it, they, just, they believe in what we're doing. They believe in the whole Canadian aspect of not only a Canadian racer but a Canadian team. And they, uh, they I I don't want to speak for them, but I think they uh, they're on board to try and try and get us to the Indy 500. I mean that's ultimately our goal is to try and get to IndyCar, no matter uh, no matter what it takes to get there.
0: So and I love to I obviously love hearing that you've got some some vibrant and passionate people behind you because I think that's key. You need to you know people have to be along for the ride. They want to be part of this journey, right? This this story of Parker Thompson. Now let's talk about you as well. And people hear you now; they're getting a chance, as like you said, promised a little more in the spotlight. You're going to be into some more interviews, and when people hear you, obviously Parker, you're you're very well spoken. I I've known you long enough that I remember when I first interviewed you. Uh, I, I believe it was Tucson, and you blasted out this interview, this commentary as a 13 year old kid, and I was, I just "Wow, who is this kid?" Because you had it back then, the understanding and the ability to, to talk, which is, I think, so much a part of it. Because as a race car driver, you're not just a driver; you're also a, a product and a company representative. Moving, you've one of the things where I want to roll with this is one of the things you've done is you really have kind of embraced being able to public speak, but you've been able to leverage that. Through something that's near and dear to your heart. And I think we all, everybody knows the issues of texting and driving. You have your own initiative and you speak to a ton of kids, students around Canada every year. It's your drive to stay alive initiative. I want to give you an opportunity to talk about that a little bit. I'm super impressed by it, but it really is something that not only you get to use yourself and your and your prominence in motorsports to be able to, to be that voice. But it also helps you as well in everything you do in terms of having to speak to people.
1: No, for sure, Rob. And thank you for that recognition. Um, So when I was 16 years old, I was in uh, high school. I was uh, in grade 10 at that time. Right around the time you get your license in Alberta, Canada is at 16 years old. And uh, at that time, I had a family friend get involved in a really serious uh, distracted driving accident. And it was kind of that time I, I knew I needed to do something about it. So I did local research and found that there were really no campaigns for texting and driving or even distracted driving. Um, and I thought, you know what? Why not me? Why why can't I go to local high schools and talk a little bit about distracted driving? And really, our whole message is uh, a split second on the track is a difference between life and death. And it's no different when you get behind the wheel of a streetcar. Uh, so that's kind of my main message, I guess you'd say. So when I was 16 years old, I uh, I took it upon myself to uh, to contact Alberta Transportation, which is our local kind of governing body uh, for transportation here in Alberta. And they sponsored a, a group of five different events Uh, So in that five events, I got to speak to local high schools in Edmonton, Alberta about the dangers of uh, texting and driving. And, you know, after that, it's kind of funny. um, I didn't get a call back from Alberta Transportation. uh, And I was kind of, I I didn't know where to take it. I didn't have sponsorship or anything at that time for it uh, to go do it. It was kind of just doing it on my own dime. So I continued out doing a couple different events just you know, speaking just to to different schools and and giving away what I had to give away in in racing merch uh, to the different schools that I talked to. And then uh, lo and behold, uh, and this is why you have to take advantage of every single media opportunity you get. Uh, So a local newspaper in St. Albert, Alberta, covered my campaign. I took a phone call and the, the local reporter covered my campaign about one of the events I did. And I get a call a week later. I was actually in a Winterfest. We were just talking about this the other day. I was in Winterfest uh, at Barber Motorsports Park when it snowed. Mm-hmm. And that night, I got a call from a company by the name of Global Traffic Group that said, we are 100% on board what you're doing. Let us know what you need in terms of finances to make this thing a national campaign. And, and we're on board. I couldn't believe it. So uh, since, you know, since I was 16 years old, I'm 20 now, I've been doing it for the last four years. And it's, it's been a ton of fun, you know, the different, uh, the different schools that I've got to reach. Uh, Over the last uh, three years, I've spoken to uh, over 100,000 students across Canada and a bit in the US on the dangers of texting and driving. And it's, uh, it's been a pretty wild ride.
0: That's amazing. I think that's to be able to take the talent you have not only on the racetrack and for sponsors and what you do uh, in your career and, and where you're focused on going, but to be able to leverage them back the other side and really do some good uh, for the young people of Canada. I think that's uh, that's tremendous. I'm I'm proud of you. That's a, that's a great deal. Let's move now into talking about uh, 2018. We have talked about your win at Barber Motorsports Park. It was a big victory. You set the the track record, a couple of polls, second in race number two. You're now the point leader heading to the month of May. That's interesting because you said that you and Michael really weren't overly surprised. It wasn't one of those, wow, we just won a race. We feel awesome because we won a race. It was more of a, yay, we've set up our expectations to succeed. We had success last year as a team, as a group, as a unit in USF 2000. So in your minds, obviously, it seems to me like you're saying, hey, we're just moving into this next group, uh, this next series. It's a clean sheet of paper with a new race car. We've got great people around us. You bring Tim Lewis, as you said, in, fantastic engineer. Does the win at Barber change your expectations at all? Or does it really just, I want to say, does it prove the expect? Does it prove you were correct in setting your expectations as you did for two thousand
1: eighteen? That's a great question. Again, Rob, and I think uh, I'll go with the latter. I think it really, it uh, it solidified my expectations. I know we were championship competitors. You know, everyone has a lot of talk about Uncos, They have a lot of talk about uh, Cape Motorsports and 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 teams that have been on the Mazda Rotundia, and particularly in Pro Mazda the last couple of years. But this new car is a, a fresh slate. And uh, you know you've got this team. I think we're uh, I think we're still underdogs, even though we're leading the championship. I still think people uh, maybe undercredit us a little bit, just because we are uh, only a two car operation. Um, you know, and it's it's funny. There's a little bit of a, a chip on our shoulder, I'll say. You know, I, I've got the same suit as last year. I've got the same helmet. Uh, you know, it's not like I'm I'm spending more than I can. I, I can only afford. What I can and, and Mike's uh, in a particular situation, you know, he's uh you know we might not have the nicest hauler on the Maseru Dandy or the nicest tent, but what we spend our money on is going fast and, and getting wins, and I think that's exactly what we've done. Mike is uh he's maybe he doesn't have the flashiest rig on the Maseru Dandy, but you look at the where he spent the money, he spent the money in the engineer, he spent the money in the setup pad and the stuff that actually counts for tents on the stopwatch, and and that's I really can't respect him enough for that. We've got the same vision, we love winning. And, uh, you know, we know there's going to be tough competition on the Mazda Road to India, and and particularly in pro Mazda. And this is definitely no discredit to them. I know how hard it's going to be going into Indianapolis in the month of May. I know they're not going to make it easy for us. uh, But at the same time, I've just I've never had uh, such confidence in the people around me to go out and get the job done.
0: It's funny, but as we get ready to wrap this things up, this thing up. can you go back and look at yourself? Can you go back and and remember who Parker Thompson was that first year running JDC when you were right out of carts? Can you look at that Parker and look at this Parker right now, you know, today's Parker, where you are now and just see the 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 growth? Over the last number of years,
1: oh, it's 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 huge, Rob. I look at even when I was in Europe, um, when I was racing with Buddy in North America, karting. I mean, the the years of growth I've went through is is pretty phenomenal. It's kind of funny because as a race car driver, you every year you don't feel that different because I mean, you're you're your own race car driver. You think you're always the fastest. You know, race car drivers have that uh, that confidence in them already. But um, yeah, looking back at my first year in USF to now is. Uh, it's a pretty huge change. I like to think that I'm I'm still the the laugh go funny guy around the paddock and and have a good time, but I've still got that drive, but a lot of other stuff has changed.
0: You obviously look backwards. Can, can you or do you look forward? When you look at a an example like Spencer Pigot, you know, he won the Pro Mazda championship, moved directly to Indy Lights, and in, in 15 won the Indy Lights championship. In 2016 he was on the grid at the Indianapolis 500. You're leading the points right now. And I'm not, obviously there's a long season still to go and you know that, Uh, but there is an outside shot or an opportunity at least for you to be on the grid in the Indianapolis 500 in 2020. Is that something you look at? Is that something you acknowledge or is it more of a myopic focus where you're looking at in front of you right now, this is what I need to do?
1: Very interesting. Um, I think I switch it up sometimes. I think, you know, in the off season, you're looking way far ahead. You know, you're you're trying to hold on to that light that I could one day be a Verizon Indy Car Series driver. Um, but then you're just trying to scrape the money together to, <laughs> to get a USF 2000 ride or a Pro Mazda ride. So it, it's kind of tough. Um, I think day to day in the season, I take it one day at a time, uh, one gym session at a time, you know. I think uh, every day you just you start with a fresh slate, and you go to the gym, and you have that same drive. If if you weren't leading the championship, or or if you are leading the championship, you approach the day the same. Um, it's funny. The first thing that Tim Lewis said to me when I got out of the car when we were championship leaders uh, after our second place run there in race two at Barber, uh, he said, "Well." I said, uh, I said, okay, good. We've got the, uh, we've got the points lead. And he said, yeah. And he's like, is your feeling the same as mine? And I said, yeah. And he said, yeah, we can, uh, we can now with that points lead and a couple bucks, buy a cup of coffee. So we've got the exact same, exact same mentality is the points lead really means nothing right now. Like you say, um, if we win the championship, you get that Indy light scholarship, but that's a long ways away. Um, looking long-term, do I look up to guys like Spencer Pigott For sure. But at the same time, you know, it's every driver's career path is so different. You know, Um, I look up to guys, you know, you look at uh, people like Sean Rahal that maybe maybe didn't get their opportunities on the Mazda Road to Indy, but have made it work in sports cars. You know, I'm, I'm looking everywhere. But right now, I know that what I need to do is go out and perform no matter what in Pro Mazda, and hopefully that opens up opportunities down the road.
0: I think that is a solid, solid focus and a great way to approach this because you never know where you're going to go. You never know the opportunities that are going to present themselves. Sean Rayel is a perfect example. A guy that uh, was a winner in Indy Lights didn't make the transition to the Verizon IndyCar Series but is now a very well-respected sports car driver. All right, Parker, let's finish this thing off. We're going to borrow our Fast Five from ECartingNews.com, Of course, the website uh, that I run on the carding side and it's interesting, obviously, that you are a big part. There's a lot of a lot of Parker Thompson references <laughs> and uh, and article segments on eCardingNews.com and through the archive. But we use this when we talk to guys that have worked their way up into the car racing uh, world. So let's have a look at this now. I'm going to give you five questions. This is the EKN Fast Five. We're going to talk about your karting career and your, your journey in karting. But we'll also give you a couple of opportunities potentially to give two answers. Perfect. Are you ready? First question, Fast Five. Perfect. All right. What was your first cart? You can give me some detail, but what was your first cart?
1: My first cart was a used PCR from Overdrive Motorsport, and actually, the driver that yes. had it before me was uh, Cameron Haley. And Cameron Haley now is—he's uh, prominent on the uh, the NASCAR scene. So he was in trucks last year, and uh, he's still trying to get a ride uh, to move into Nationwide.
0: The old PCR for Joey Gion. I like that. That's a that's a good one. All right. I love. Now that you've had such an expanded career and card. This could be interesting. What is your favorite kart track?
1: Oh, good question. Okay, so um I would have to rate Genk in Belgium as uh definitely one of the top uh, top tracks I've ever been to. But um there is a track in Germany called Ampfing and it's where I got my first European win over there. Uh, in one of their championships. And I would say being just the the special memory of that and, and having a win there, my first win with Energy Course Factory, that would be, uh, I'd highly rate that as one of my favorites as well.
0: How about your favorite car track? Let's just we'll kind of go two A and two B. Your favorite is car track?
1: Oh, I think you know that one. <laughs> Barber Motorsports Park is treating me pretty good. Um, it
0: seems like, you, yeah, you and you and Joseph Newgarden, right? Yeah, it seems like
1: we both know how to make cars go pretty quick around there. Um, but then I also have to say I love street courses, um, and I would have to say I'd rate Streets of Toronto right up there as uh, as just as just as favorite.
0: That's awesome. All right, question number three, and of course, we'll do two part again. What was your biggest win in your karting career?
1: Oh, wow, that is a great question. Again, um, looking back at karting, one of the ones that, that really comes to mind is my first uh, my first race in Junior Rotax at the Challenge of Americas at Phoenix Raceway. I moved up as a twelve year old into the Junior Rotax category, and uh, and I swept the weekend with Buddy Rice. Uh, Buddy Rice Karting and his team. And I think that one, just in terms of um, just all-time confidence, you know, I, I won the championship after that. I wrapped things up in Sonoma two rounds later. Uh, and and to win my first real prominent karting championship, I would say that was one of the most special wins I had. Uh, but then looking at uh, winning in Europe, so even that win at AmpFing, um, just to kind of solidify my European karting career, I think is was a pretty huge win as well. So I'll give you those two.
0: Yeah, Again, such a huge international field, right? There you are, this Canadian guy coming over and stealing a win away. I like that. Now, second half of that one, how about biggest win of your car career?
1: Oh, well, I I think it's actually – that one's more clear-cut than the karting. Um, last year in Toronto, race one. Going out and getting the job done uh, after pole, I think, was pretty huge. And and you know what? I take a look at that race whenever I need an extra little motivation. I always go on YouTube, and I love that the Mazaro posts the full races. And I I relive that one race, and it, it just seems to get me in the zone because, you know, Oliver and I were, were pretty good friends off the track. Um, man, he was on me that whole race, and and arguably possibly had a faster combination uh, that race. But I, I somehow held him off and, you know, he kept reeling me in and then we were pushing each other so hard. I mean, we went over a second faster than qualifying on old tires uh, in the race and it was hotter. Like we were just, we were really outpacing ourselves, driving over our heads. Uh, so to come away with the win on that was pretty special.
0: All right. Moving to question number four of the EKN Fast Five, who is your biggest rival? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you've had some pretty good teammates over the years, but you've also, you know, battled against some guys. So you can you can go karting, you can go cars. I don't care which way, which way you want to go. Who's who is or has been your biggest rival?
1: <laughs> you know what? I'm glad you brought up karting. So it, it's kind of funny, and 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 since our rivalry, we've reconnected, and I think I think we've uh, we've buried the hatchet. But back when I was karting, Jake Craig and I, we just always found each other what it didn't matter where we were in the field if we were racing for 10th we were driving into each other um so i would actually have to say that if jake if you're listening make sure you shout out on twitter and say you listen to this episode but yeah i would say jake craig has been my most competitor that's got under my skin the most and i think i got under his skin quite a bit being a little bit younger than him and um but you know what? Those are the childhood memories you look back on. I hope people, I mean, I've buried the hatchet, and I, I hope everyone buries the rival hatchet. But it's something you could look back and smile on. I'm, I'm sure I'll tell my kids about the rivalry I had with Jake.
0: Yeah, you'll be happy. know. obviously, we talked about the the quality and, and the importance of maybe potentially running Formula 1600. He's actually going to run with Brian Graham Racing this year up in Ontario, Canada, and, and the Super Series up there. So he could be chasing you down again in a number of years, but i love to hear that rivalry. That's awesome. Cool. Let's move. Final question. The fast five. I like, I love this final one because it kind of gives you a chance to wrap things up your, your story, your journey so far, who has been your biggest mentor or influence,
1: man, that's, a, these are wicked questions. You really, uh, you're going past the skin and we're, we're cutting the, under there. um, you know, <laughs> I would say my father and I, I know, every I knew
0: you're going to say their yeah. father. Um, well, not everybody says it. Okay, no. I get well, it.
1: I get it, I yeah. hope he. I hope he listens to the end of this. I'm not going to tell him to, but I'm sure he'll find it. And and if he does listen to it, that's awesome. But uh, there has been just so much emotion the last couple of years um, of where we've come from and what we've done. And uh, there's been so many com- conversations of uh, do we do we give up or or do we keep pushing forward? Do we? What do we do? And there's been so many of those hard conversations over you know, I, it, I'm legal in Canada. So over a glass of rum, one late night in the off season where you're talking with your dad and it and it's real, you know, it's, he's a racer himself. He understands it. He, uh, he raced dirt bikes all his, his, uh, kind of teenage life. And then he he moved into jet boats as he got older. Um, so it, it's really cool that I can find a person to confide myself in like that and, and understands what I'm going through. And, and, you know, he's, uh, He's believed in me when I haven't believed in myself, which is pretty cool. There's not too many people uh, I can say that have done that. So shout out to him.
0: Uh, Doug Thompson's a uh, one badass Canadian. No doubt about it, bud. You got a good dad there. Yeah, Dougie. Well, dude, you got through it. You got through the fast five. Nicely done. Again, Parker Thompson here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, 20-year-old driver to Red Deer, Alberta, Canada. Currently the point leader in the Pro Mazda Championship presented by Cooper Tires coming off a massive weekend at Barber Motorsports Park. Parker Thank you so much for joining me here on the Road to Indie Insider podcast. Uh, you know, when I when I knew I was going to restart it and get it rolling, you know, I had a couple of quick guys I wanted to talk to. You and I have done podcasts with other people as well where we've both been guests. Uh, I knew it would be a great one. and This was good. A lot of insight into, uh, you know, a young driver's journey, his career, coming out of karting. Um, and I think you obviously know what you feel you're getting a growing group of fans and people that really want to support what you do it's uh it's been a fun journey hasn't it so far
1: it really has you know it's uh this has been this has been pretty cool to actually look back I think as race car drivers we don't uh we don't take time on a Friday night to look back at our career and see what we've done and, and sometimes you need that. Uh, you need to look back. I I know there's a lot more that I have to accomplish if I want to be a a professional race car driver, but it was very fun and and I I really enjoyed the opportunity to uh, get to discuss my career with you, Rob.
0: Thank you again, Parker. And again, all of us looking forward to the month of May at uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Of course, the IndyCar Grand Prix early May 1st, uh, like the 10th or the 12th, I believe, that, that event. Of course, Parker will get on the road course there in his PM18 with exclusive autosports. And then we'll head at the end of the month to the Carb Knight Classic, both USF 2000 and Pro Mazda on the quick 5/8 mile oval at Lucas Oil Raceway. That wraps up another episode here of the Road to Indy Insider podcast. My name is Rob Howden. Thank you for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. Bye for now.